0: Go ahead and subscribe, and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in, and be blessed.
1: You know that when the Apostle Paul preaches, whenever he taught, he always started with doctrine. He always started with what to believe. And at the end of his letters, he would touch on what to do. Now, the church has kind of had it backwards. We've said, let's tell people what to do, and let's talk about what to believe later. In fact, there's a lot of, um, about eight years ago when I was working at a bus company a good friend of mine was in a church service and he said the model that he knew from the time he was a child to the time he was a man at that point he said the model he always understood was Sunday morning was what to do Wednesday nights were what to believe and I thought that's really interesting and he said because Wednesday nights are Bible study it's the people who are going I want more I want more so let's talk about what to believe on Wednesdays and let's talk about what to do on Sundays and to me that's backwards That's very backwards. We don't come to church on Sunday to find out what to do. We don't come to church on Wednesday to find out what to do. We come to find out what to believe. And when you understand that, even if there's no time left, the Holy Spirit, by the end of the service, if if we believe the truth, Jesus calls him the spirit of, spirit of truth. And he will abide with you forever in John. He calls him the spirit of truth. And when you have the spirit of truth, when you are believing the truth, the spirit of truth can tell you how to live. Much better than I can tell you how to live by guidelines and rules and what you should and what you should not do. But today is going to be a little bit of that because even the Apostle Paul takes time, not very much, but he takes some time to say what to do. And what to do, if you, if you follow Paul's example, you'll find that what to do is not really, he's not telling us commands, he's telling us a response. You know, as much as I love my wife, let me say this, I have to learn how to respond to her. Only one. (laughs) Now, I say that in love, not in a negative way. Not in a negative way at all. All right? Let's say this. Let's say when we first get married, I don't know much about her. I'm in love with her. She's in love with me. We get married. Praise God. We move into our house, and her first birthday comes around. I say, what does she want? And I go and buy a washing machine. The response I thought I'd get. Now, let's say... She says, oh my gosh, the gift is so big, it's wrapped up and it's so beautiful. Who wrapped this? I wrapped it, sweetheart. Oh my, then she sees the receipt accidentally, fly, you know, the gift receipt with the amount, but not, you know, anyway. So anyways, she sees the receipt, says, oh my, he spent all this money, what could be behind the wrapping paper? She opens the wrapping paper and she sees the washing machine. Now, <laughs> you can probably imagine how that would go over, right? But suffice to say this, I have to learn how to respond to her love for me. Likewise, when you receive Christ, God is just so happy to finally have you that he found you. You didn't find him. He's so happy to find you. And he's so happy that you have said, I will, I will consent to be being carried by you from now on. He's so happy that he loves you and he pulls you in. Now, 10 years from that moment that you say yes to Jesus, that 10 years from the moment you submit to him, if you are still as ignorant 10 years later as you are the moment you said yes, something is wrong. All right, there's a problem here. But 10 years later, you should be growing in your love for him. So your response will change. And that's why in church, we never judge people who come into church and they act, I'll just say, they act stupid. They act dumb. They do things that don't make sense to anyone else in the church. That's why we don't judge them. Because we realize the longer you spend time with him, you will fall in love with him. And his love will shape you and mold you and you will learn how to respond to him. In fact, um, I'll say it this way. When I first was, was learning about the grace of God, I was so in love with what I was hearing, so hooked on the message. I said, I want to know more about this. And one of my favorite preachers, when he would preach, he, there, were, there were a lot of times he wouldn't show the verse on the screen. Sometimes he would just quote verses. And I thought, I want to be good like that. I want to be able to quote verses and not have to show it. So anyways, what I did was I would start taking a verse and I started pulling, I would take one verse and I would just sit there and I would say it to myself all day. I would write it on a piece of paper. I'd put it in my car for a whole week sometimes, one verse, and I would just say it and say it. And then the verse would start speaking back to me. I would be going through something and the verse would come back and I started seeing one verse 10 different ways. And out of that, I started preaching sermons to the, to the, to the teenagers because I was a youth leader. And all of this was just working for me. And about three years later, about three to four years later, I heard a sermon about meditation. And I had no idea for the last three to four years I had actually been meditating on God's word. I just never put the title on it. Now, who taught me how to meditate? The Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Now, he didn't wait for me to hear that sermon three, four years later. He said, I'm going to teach Matthew how to do it now and you'll find out what you're doing later. And that's what the spirit of truth does. We don't have to find out the do's and don'ts of Christianity, we just have to find out what to believe. And when you believe the truth, the spirit of truth will shape you and mold you and teach you how to respond. But you know what, if the Apostle Paul saw fit at the end of his sermons to say, let's have some time to talk about how to respond to the grace of God, then I think I'm not gonna try to outdo the Apostle Paul. Let's, let's follow his example this morning. Is that okay? Amen. It's Jesus calling. He always calls at the right times. <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. No. So anyways, do you have your Bible? Let's open up to, my mind just been blank. Let's open up to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Now we're not going to stay here very long, but I do want to draw something out of this. We touched on this, I think, two weeks ago. Revelation chapter 1. My beautiful wife is here this morning. Amen. So I will be on my best behavior. <laughs> revelation chapter 1 verse 4. The revelation of Jesus Christ signed to the Apostle John. Here we go. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says this. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him. Who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. We talked about the seven spirits. We won't spend much time on this. It's found in Isaiah. I want to say Isaiah chapter 11, if I'm not mistaken. From the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Let me say this real quick. Have you ever read the book of Revelation and noticed that numbers come out a lot? If you've never noticed that, the number three, for a long time, I wasn't really sure. I heard one minister say three means this. Another said three means that. This is just a side note because when you study your Bible, I think this would help. The number three actually means manifestation. In fact, it shows up in the book of Revelation a lot. I think almost over 50 times. But anyways, the number three appears. Notice in verse four, and we'll move along. Verse four says, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and... Who is to come? Three. Manifestation. Watch this. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Three again. Manifestation. Why is it this way? In fact, in another verse it says this. He talks about God the Father. He talks about the Holy Spirit. Then he mentions the Son. Every other book mentions the Father, the Son, the Spirit last. Why Father, Spirit, and Jesus last in Revelation? Because in this book, what they need is a manifestation of Jesus. So when he mentions the Godhead, he mentions the Father, the Spirit, the Son comes last. And this is, the mani- this is the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus, which will produce the manifestation of Jesus in your life. When you read the book of Revelation, this is the only book in the Bible, the only book that specifically says, he who reads this book will be blessed. Don't get me wrong, we are blessed when we read the entire Bible. But this is the only book that says specifically, he who reads this book will be blessed. Now why is that? Because in this book, Jesus is unveiled. And whenever Jesus is unveiled, he will always manifest whatever you need. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. So verse 5, one more time. It says, he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is the king of earth." Oh, that was sad. <laughs> he is the king of kings. He's king of kings. And you know what? Look at, look at the next sentence. To him who loved us first and washed us from our own sins in his blood. He loved us, so he washed us. And not with water, but with his own blood. With his own blood. Verse 6 And has made us kings and priests. To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Back up one more time. The number three appears again. Watch this. To him who loved us, washed us from our own sins in his own blood, and what? Made us kings and priests. Three again. Now, when you, the reason why we're going to touch on kings and priests, and why I put this in gold, is because I believe when we finish this message by the, in the name of Jesus, by the grace of God, you will walk out of here, and you will begin to enjoy your kingship and your priesthood. In the name of Jesus all right may it manifest in your life this week all right but let's back up real quick before we come to kings and priests let me say this how did he make you a king and priest by his own what his own blood did you know that when God created the world he only had to do what speak but when God wanted to redeem you he had to bleed redemption is greater than creation you see for so long in the church what we've done is this We've said, let's talk a lot about creation. So we've written volumes and books and books on top of creation. We've studied every single Hebrew word. Let's find out all we can about creation. Now there is revelation to be found in creation, but think about it this way. Let's not major, like my mom said, I think it was Wednesday. Let's not major in the minors. Let's major in what God puts priority on. Are you with me? If God gave creation one chapter, one chapter in this entire book, right? why do we write volumes on one but when it comes to redemption he writes volumes chapters books on that now why is that because to create god only had to speak and when creation failed for him to redeem all of us he had to bleed god cares more about redemption than he cares about creation and in that said let's major on what god majors on if god puts priority on his son let's major on the son. The Apostle Paul, as smart as he was, said to the church, I believe in Corinth, I, when I was among you, I only knew one thing, Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's it. And Paul trained under the greatest Pharisee of his day and age. Paul was being groomed to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. Here's a corny one for you. When Paul looked in the mirror, he said, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who is the Pharisee of them all? All right. And the mirror said, Paul, you are the only one. All right. Paul was trained to be the greatest Pharisee, and yet when it came to the gospel, he said this, I know nothing among you other than Christ and him crucified. Why? Because I only want to major on what God puts priorities on. Let's not major in the minors. If God doesn't take time to talk a lot about it, let's not talk a lot about it. And everyone said, if he talks a lot about his son, then let's talk a lot about the son. Amen. That's the heart of what we do here. We want to talk about the son. Hallelujah. So watch this. He's washed us. He loves us. He washes us from our own sins in his blood. Now, now that you know that you have been made a king and a priest by his blood, it puts more value on it. It puts a lot more value on it. In order for him to make you a king and a priest, he had to bleed. He had to actually bleed. God himself had to bleed to make me a king and a priest. So it's to my benefit to know Why he wanted to bleed to make me a king and priest. Why he wanted to make me a king and priest so much. And the more I have been learning about this, the greater I believe the grace of God is resting on me. So are you ready for this? All right, let's watch this. So he's making us kings and priests. Now, let's move along. In Exodus chapter 15, before we talk about kings and priests, real quick. Before we talk about kings and priests, in Exodus chapter 15, the nation of Israel has left Egypt. Egypt. In their bondage, God had to bring 10 plagues on the whole uh, nation so that he could bring his people out. What nine plagues couldn't do, the blood of the lamb could brought them out. God's judgment kept them in. But the very last one, the death of the firstborn, which signified the death of his son, brought them out of bondage. The more we preach judgment in the church, people will stay in the bondage. But when we begin to preach the death of the lamb, when we begin to preach the death of the firstborn, the death of God's own son, we will see people come out of bondage. Let's not. Oh, don't get in trouble. Stay safe. Hallelujah. All right. So anyways, they're out of bondage and they've crossed over the Red Sea. Three days later, after they cross over the Red Sea, they run out of water. You brought us out here to die. So they run to Moses Moses. You brought us out here to die. Let's read. Let's watch what happens. Exodus chapter 15, 22 to 26. Verse 22 says, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? Now, I put complain in gold and defined it for you. I meant to make it a little more theatrical. I wanted to skip to the next one and show you, but it's already up here, so you see. The Bible says that they complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And I decided, what is the word complain? Look up in the Hebrew. The word complain in the Hebrew is the word loon. Can you say loon? Loon. And loon literally means to stay the night or to abide. When you complain, it doesn't solve the problem. When you complain. You're going to stay in the problem. So what's the answer? Stop complaining. (laughs) Stop complaining. Simple. Now, why am I showing you this? Because when you are a king, you need to act like a king. The Apostle Paul says it this way. All right. In another letter, the Apostle Paul says this. I beseech you, brethren, live worthy of the calling. Live worthy of the calling. And for years, I really wasn't able to put the two together. What does that mean? Live worthy of the calling. And you know how it's always been taught? If you don't live worthy of the calling, you will lose your calling. Right? And then one day, actually, I've known this for a while, but recently, I was uh, reading the book of Philippians at work on my lunch break. And I was going through the whole book of Philippians. And I came to that verse. And all of a sudden, I said, I noticed something I never noticed. Paul never said, I beseech you, brethren, live worthy of your calling or you will lose your calling. He never said that. He said, I beseech you, brethren, live worthy of your calling, period. Now, wait a second. (laughs) I know I'm not an English major. All right, I don't know if any of you are, but help me out for a moment. If he says live worthy of the calling, period, that means that's the end, correct? Where is the punishment for not doing it? There is no stated punishment for not doing it. What he says is live worthy of the calling. In other words, you are a king, you are a priest, act like it. What if I don't? Act like it. And we take the example from Corinthians. In Corinthians, you know what the men were doing in the church? The men were sleeping with prostitutes that hung around the church. And the apostle Paul was so angry. And you know what preachers say today? You slept with that person. You're not living worthy of the calling. You better fall on your face and repent before the most high God. Or the judgment of God will fall on the house first. And then it will disperse. You know what Paul What did Paul say? You know what Paul said? Do you not know (laughs) that you are the house of God? not did you not know but do you not know you are the house of God you haven't lost your position wake up to who you are in Corinthians wake up to righteousness and sin not not start trying to live righteously wake up to what God has done in you wake up to what Jesus has done in you you are a king you are a priest and I'm telling you this morning listen stop complaining (laughs) no amens on that one. stop complaining Stop complain because when you complain, you're not acting like a king. You know, when you look at a king, think about it this way. When you look at a king, let's say, uh, let's say, who is the king of England right now? Who is the king? What's his name? There's no king? It's the queen. It's the queen. So I'm sorry. I watched The Crown on Netflix, really good show. So in my mind, I'm thinking, anyways, uh, um, is Elizabeth still queen? Yeah. So let's imagine Elizabeth as, as she's, she's a little bit, she's a little elderly, all right? Let's say Elizabeth walks out one day into the, into the courtyard and one of the servants drops his, his spear, whatever, his, he drops something. He bends over to pick it up. The queen walks over and slaps him in the face. That will be headline news. <laughs> headline, that will be on CNN, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, Fox. It will be everywhere. Queen Elizabeth slaps somebody. Now, why would that be so important? Because it's unbecoming of a queen to slap. It doesn't make, (laughs) it's not fitting for a queen to tell someone else, go slap him. That will still be news, but she didn't do it. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that is this. You are a king. You are a priest. Listen, live worthy of the position God has given you. doesn't mean you'll lose it, but he's encouraging you. I'm encouraging you. Live worthy of the position God has given you. When you complain, do you know what it looks like? When you complain, it looks like this. I have to fix this problem on my own. And I am upset because I don't know how I am going to fix this problem. Or I'm upset because I know how I have to fix the problem. Did you notice how many eyes I said just in that statement alone? There's a whole lot of eyes. In order for me to complain, I, must stop be, I have to stop looking at God and I have to start looking at me. Are you with me? So stop complaining. And the more I complain, the more I stay in the problem. God wants you to say, I don't know how I'm going to fix this. But you know what? I can trust him with the problem. Stop complaining. Let me show you one more thing about complaining real quick. They complained saying, what shall we drink? Verse 25, so Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, comma, pause for a moment. Who did all that for us? Jesus did all of that for us. Jesus kept all God's commands. Jesus kept all God's statutes. Then Jesus received our punishment at the cross. And at the cross, he said, here, take my obedience. Take all my reward. Take everything that I deserve because I lived a perfect life. You live the imperfect life. Now let's make a beautiful exchange. Give me your sin. You take my reward. Amen. And now when we read the old and God says, if you keep my commandments, now for us on this side, it's Jesus kept my commandments. So what's the next statement? I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. Why? For or because I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. Now, why is God putting that at the end of complaining? Because when you complain, listen, listen, the world can the world is just beginning to realize this. Did you know when people complain, all of a sudden they get sicker? God told us this thousands of years ago. (laughs) When you complain, you get sick. So what does the Lord say? Don't complain. But when you do complain, know this. I am still the Lord who heals you. I'm not the one who puts sickness on you, but I am the Lord who heals you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So again, what is he trying to say? Look, what what am I trying to say? We are kings, we are priests. Act kingly. Act priestly. And, you know, I'll be transparent for a moment, if that's all right. I'll be vulnerable. Don't judge me. This past week, I was telling him on Wednesday night, at work, um, I work with a lot of people who know about church. Some who go to church, some who don't. But I work with people who know that I'm a pastor. Everyone knows I'm a pastor. Now, if you know me, I laugh about a lot of things that I probably shouldn't laugh at. I have a very bad sense of humor. I just, it's just certain things that should not be funny, I laugh a lot at, okay? But at work, I try not to cross the line. I try not to laugh so much that they know I think it's that funny. And I try not to go too far into the jokes with them. Are you with me? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Don't, don't judge me. But anyways, I try not to go too far. But the other day, this happened to me. The other day, I was there, and uh, it happened to my coworker first, but anyways, irrelevant. It happened to me, I think it was Thursday or Friday. My boss made a joke, and I jumped into it with him and started laughing with him. And he said, he's the pastor. And I, and I had this moment where I knew what I was going to preach this morning, and I was like, he got me. So I walked out. And I had this moment, and again, it was almost like the Lord was saying, you're about to preach on it, and let me show you. This is why. Now let me say this. You will never scar God's name. You will never take away from God's holiness. God is holy. You will never, make, you will never defile God. You cannot. You can't defile God. You can never do that. But you can make God appear scarred in the eyes of someone else. Mm-hmm. Do you know what a priest is? Take, come here real quick. Move slower. <laughs> <laughs> can you come here as well? Okay. Stand on this side. Okay. We'll make the lady walk. Her. Let me show you. All right. This, why are you all so close to me? <laughs> Let me show you what a priest is real quick. Now, when it comes to prophets, we, we say this a lot in our church. When it comes to prophets, prophets come from God to the people, right? When Moses misrepresented God, he was acting like a prophet. Because he made God appear angry when God was not angry, God said, you have lost the privilege of leading my people into the promised land. That's why it is a very, yeah, you get the point. So when it comes to prophets, prophets represent God. You misrepresent God, that's between you and the Lord. We won't go there. But when it comes to priesthood, a priest come from among the people and bring the people to God. Are you with me? That's why this up here, what we do up here, preaching and teaching is a priesthood. We're, we're, we're taking all of you and we're bringing you to the Lord. Now, the way the priest did it, we, we, we shared this in our high priest uh, series. He wears their names here on, shoulders, on his shoulders, over his heart, and he wears holiness to the Lord. So when he comes to God, God sees all the people represented in him. Jesus today is our high priest. Now, you can be bad, but if your high priest is good, God will still bless all of us because the priest was good. Are you still with me? So, what happens is this. The priest goes in, and he brings out favor for the people. Once God receives the priest, the priest comes out and says, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. You with me? He blesses all the people, but his job doesn't stop there. What happens after he's walked out of the presence of God? Now, the is to tell the people or to teach the people how God is. Because he's the only one who's been in the presence of God. Now, even though I am a priest up here this morning, all of you are priests. So none of you get to escape this one. Sorry. All right. This is your responsibility. You are a priest. You are a king and priest. So a priest, what a priest does is this. When, we'll let her be the Lord, because she's prettier. All right, so can <laughs> so we... So what happens is this, Adam's sin, God wants to come to us, but he cannot come to us because if God comes to us, his holiness will reject us, kill us, annihilate us. So what does God do? God sends a priest. God puts on flesh, becomes one of us and comes as a priest. I am the priest. Can you walk over here a little bit? This way some, we'll create some distance. All right. He wants to come to us. So what does he do? He sends Jesus as a priest and the priest comes and takes the sinner, the ugly sinner, The sinner who smells so bad. And he brings the sinner to God. Are you with me? Now that's the role of a priest. Now listen, when it comes to reconciliation, I never knew what that word, I never understood what it meant. When it comes to reconciliation, the one who is offended does not reconcile with the one who did the offense. The one who did the offense must reconcile with the one who is offended. And yet God says, I will reconcile you to myself. I'm not going to let you get credit for coming to me. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to bring you back to me. Are you with me? Thank you. You can sit. Joshua Menga and Tanisha Douglas, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the reason why I say that is this. Our jobs as kings and priests is to do what? Teach the world who God is. Now, we talk about this a lot because part of it is this. We give it another title. We call it witnessing. (laughs) But what is the greatest witness you can ever partake in, not doing, being. When the world looks at you and they see God's favor on you, you are witnessing, you're being a witness. Now we talk a lot about that, but what about the other part? When people start asking questions, when people start observing your life, then the question becomes, are you acting like a king and a priest? Are you with me? Now let's fast forward from here. Let's fast forward to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19 verse 4. Now, keep in mind, God has brought all the children of Israel from the bitter waters of Marah. They've come through the wilderness for uh, just under a year. And they're now at Mount Sinai, at the mountain of God, the holy mountain. And when they get there, God says this in verse 4. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. Eagles' wings means grace. He doesn't say, I led you by the hand right here. He says, I put you on my wings. I carried you. I brought you here. Meaning what? I did the heavy lifting. You get to enjoy the fruit. Grace. Grace. Also, how does Jesus appear in the gospel of John? As an eagle. Are you with me? So watch this. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my command, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Now, one more time. Look at this. Then you shall be a special treasure to me. You'll be a special treasure to me. And what does he say? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priest and a holy nation a royal priesthood kings and priests these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel God told Moses this now what is he, what, what happened here we, we talk about this a lot I don't want to spend a lot of time God did not say if you will keep my covenant I'm giving you he said if you will keep my covenant in the Greek I'm sorry in the Hebrew continue in my covenant which is what the covenant I made with Abraham your great 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 grandfather which is a covenant of grace it has nothing to do with you but everything to do with me are you with me If you'll continue in that covenant, then I'll do all of this. I'll make you different from everyone else. I'll separate you. I will make you a special treasure to me. I will make all of you a kingdom of priests, a whole kingdom of priests. And we know what happened. The very next verse, they look to Moses and they say, tell God all he can ask of us, all he can command us, we will do. And all of a sudden, God's next words, the next verse says, God came down with fire and wrath and a thick dark cloud of darkness and god said moses tell the people don't come near and the very next verse exodus chapter 20 thou shall not thou shalt not thou shalt not now we won't go into the 10 commandments this morning but suffice to say this god's heart was not in the commandments god's heart was in grace god's heart was that he wanted them to be a whole nation of priests imagine a nation that was a nation of priests but they failed So what did he do? Instead of making all the nation priests, he had to pull out one tribe. He had to find, I say this carefully, an Israel within Israel, a priest among all who could have been priests. Now listen, I say this carefully. Don't make God find someone else to be a priest for him. Don't make him do that. All right. I'm telling you this morning, God wants you to still be a king and a priest at your job. He wants you to be a king and priest at home. He wants you to be a king and priest in the grocery store. He wants you to be a king and a priest. He wants people to look at you and see that his favor is on you. He wants people to look at you and say, how in the world? Your family members to look at you and say, how is God doing all of this? How are you getting younger? How are you getting more energetic? Where, 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 you didn't even have coffee yet this morning. I'm, uh, that's for me. I'm receiving that this morning. All right. All that God is doing in you, how is all that happening? Because I'm a king and I'm a priest. I am a king. I am a priest. And let me say this. Every time the priesthood failed in the Old Testament, all the people got in trouble. The entire book of Malachi is about the priesthood not doing what they were supposed to do. So the whole nation was in trouble. And in fact, that book ends with the word curse. But do you know what happens? This book, Revelation, the book of Revelation in the New Testament, you know what the last word of Revelation is? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. When the priests are not acting like they should, the people experience a curse. You know why so many things, bad things are happening around in the world? Because God's people are not acting like priests. But I'm telling you, if you will go out and act like a king and a priest, curse will be be reversed like Noah when he landed on Mount Ararat. Interesting. Judgment falls through the flood. The, The ark lands on a mountain called Mount Ararat. The name Ararat literally means the curse is reversed. God will reverse the curse everywhere you find yourself if you will act like a king and priest. Are you with me? Well, what if I don't act like it? You won't lose your position. But if you will act like a king and priest, you'll see that God can reverse every curse at your job. Reverse every curse at home. Reverse every curse in your family. He'll reverse it all. And it's not dependent on you. Jesus did it. But this is our response to God's grace. Are you with me? Let's hurry. (laughs) So we're going to fly through this. (laughs) Matthew chapter 5, real quick. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Watch this. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Now, real quick, Paul talks about salt in, I think, 2 Timothy. He says, let your conversation be full of salt. I'm sorry, let your conversation be seasoned with salt, full of grace. So salt is a picture of grace. What is is Jesus saying? You are the salt of the earth. Once I am gone, you will be the only grace that's left. Are you with me? If you are not gracious, I can't use you. If you're not gracious, I can't use you. Let me say this. When you're out to eat and the waitress is rude to you, be gracious. Because if you are not gracious, he has to find someone else to come in and be a priest and a king. Why make him find another priest? When you are there, I'm telling you, the more I meditate on this, I've said this years ago, and I'm starting to say it more. Be glad when bad things happen around you. Because let me say this. There are people who don't know but you know. There are people who don't know that their Heavenly Father loves them. There are people who don't know that when something bad happens, God will restore it and make it greater than it was before. Are you with me? So the more bad things the enemy throws at me, the better off I am. When bad things happen. Don't complain. Rejoice. I know that's hard to preach, but rejoice. (laughs) Be happy because your heavenly father is going to make everything 10 times, 120 times better. That's the law of restoration for you. So listen, when bad things happen, don't drop down to someone else's level. Don't be small. Don't be, I'll say, don't be petty. (laughs) Don't be small. Be bigger than the problems. Be bigger than people. And most of the people that come against you, if they knew what you knew, they would leave you alone. But be bigger than them. You are a king. You're a priest. How fitting is it for Elizabeth to slap a soldier in the courtyard? How fitting is it for you to address the waitress the way she addressed you? You're bigger than that. You're greater than that. You are a king. You are a priest. Respond as such. And when you respond that way, not only will you convince them, but God will smile. And I'm telling you, the grace of God will manifest in ways you never knew. You could walk out of there with five free meals. All right? Five free meals. Why five? Because five means grace. You could walk out with gracious meals next time, right? You don't know. You don't know what blessing is on the other, what reward is on the other side of that. Because God strategically put you right there at the right place at the right time. Your steps were ordered. I always get the worst waitresses in this restaurant. You're right. Because God is trying to do something. right? He's doing something. So stop complaining and start responding appropriately. Amen? Okay. Let's keep going. I told you, (laughs) we're running out of time. Numbers chapter 7. Now, let me say this. In Numbers chapter 7, if you read the book of Numbers, this is the longest chapter in the entire book of Numbers. Longest chapter. And do you know why it's the longest chapter? Because in this chapter, only one thing happens. All the princes. You're going to see rulers in the New King James. But the word ruler is actually princes. All the princes of the nation of Israel, of the tribes of Israel, are coming and they're bringing their gifts to God. All of them are bringing it. Now, let's just watch. Verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, that he anointed it and consecrated it in all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. So he anointed them and consecrated them. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the father's houses, the word leaders is actually the word princes, all right, who were the leaders of the tribes, and over those who were numbered made an offering. Now watch this. As every tribe of Israel comes out of Egypt, they all live according to their family name, their tribes. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve leaders. But the leaders of the tribes, they were all in bondage. The leaders are actually princes. Because on the night when they came out of Egypt... God said this, ask your neighbor for their gold. Ask your neighbor for their clothes. And you know what they did? They asked every Egyptian on the night of the Passover when the firstborn died and the Egyptians were crying on their way out of bondage. They said, hey, can I have some gold? And they said, take all the gold, take all you want. Can I have some clothes? Take all our clothes. And they had gold and clothes they didn't work for. And they walked out of bondage, millionaires, every last one of them. And so what happened was now they're in the wilderness. All the heads of the houses said, we're princes. Look at how much gold we have. I'm telling you, when God brings you out of something, he makes you shine. He makes the glory of the Lord shine on you. So now we have princes. And Moses has come down to Mount Sinai and said, let's set up the tabernacle as such. So they set up the tabernacle. They anoint everything. They consecrate everything. And when they finish, all of a sudden, unannounced to Moses, the princes of the tribes show up with offerings. Watch this. Verse three, and they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and 12 oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and for each one an ox. And they presented them before the tabernacle. Now watch this. Moses, if you go back and read the law, God never required the leaders, the princes to do this. He never required it. He never required it. When I went back to my Torah, when when I went back, even the commentary says Moses did not know what to do because there's no law for this. So when they did it, Moses went to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I do with all this gold they brought me? Verse 4, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, accept these from them, that they may be used in doing the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall give them to the Levites, to every man according to his service. Now watch this. I'm bringing this to an end. Watch this. Moses didn't know what to do. And God said, God had to tell Moses, receive it. Don't turn it away. Receive it. And you know what you'll do with this, Moses? I want you to give this to the Levites. Now, what did they bring? They brought carts. Carts. You know what a cart is? I can't lift this because it's so heavy, so I put it on a cart. It transports what I have. The Lord is saying, and I say this prophetically for some of you, the Lord is saying, you need transportation. You're trying to figure out how to get from A to B. If you will continue to act like a priest as it comes in, I will make sure that you are sufficiently supplied. Are you with me? You are sufficiently supplied in the name of Jesus. Now. What do we see? The princes, how do you act like a king? Generous. They gave when God didn't even require it. They gave when God didn't require it. Do you give when, the, when, when, when we're not asking? Not, not to me, not outside of here as well. All right? Do you give when people aren't asking for it? Are you generous with what you have? I could go on and on about that more, but I mean we're running out of time. My point is this. Kings are generous. They're generous. There's one amen in here. Amen's for everything else. You're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. There we go. Right. Verse five, accept these from them that they may be used in doing the work. And notice he gives them to who? The Levites. Kings and priests, the Levites were priests. Hey, guess what? God says you are a priest. So whatever comes in, the Lord says it will supply you. It's for you. God doesn't want it, he doesn't need it. He wants you to have it, all right? Then we come to verse 10. Now skip down to verse 10. Now why did all the leaders do this? And we'll bring this to a close. Why did all the leaders do this? Now the leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. What does the altar speak of? The cross of Jesus Christ. They had a love for the altar. When they saw what the altar would do for them, they all came together and said, let's give to the altar. Let's offer before the altar. Let's be generous before the altar. Why? Because they had a heart for the cross. I'm sorry, they had a heart for the altar. When you have a heart for the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, you will begin to act more kingly and more priestly. That's why in a church like this, we talk a lot about the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to fall in love with the altar. And that's why I said some Sundays when we don't even get to tell you what to do, the Holy Spirit can still tell you how to respond. He can make you generous because your heart is for the altar. Now, let me let me close with this. Do you know that we follow our example from who? Jesus. Right. We follow our example from him. Jesus walked with his disciples for three and a half years. You know, some of you respect me as a pastor. Oh, this is Pastor Matthew. You know, you you respect me. and I'm glad for that. I, I appreciate that. But you know someone who, 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 who doesn't respect me? She, she honors me as her husband first. <laughs> All right? She lives with me every day. Pastor Matthew is great, but she sees Matthew Edwards. All right? Are you with me? The more time you spend with me, the less <laughs> your image of me will be. Now, I say that graciously. I say that graciously. She spends a lot of time with me. So she knows me better than most people do. So she sees me every day, day in, day out. She knows me as Matthew. Not pastor, she knows me as Matthew Edwards. Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples, and on the night of his betrayal, they were still nervous to ask him who was the one he was talking about. Peter, who spoke up more than everyone else. Peter, the one who Jesus said, only God could have given you this revelation. Peter, who was loud. I mean, Peter, the leader of the group. Even Peter had to nudge John and say, hey, um, ask him who he's talking about. (laughs) Who will betray him? There was such a reverential kingliness about him, a priesthood about him, priestliness, I'll say that, all right? There was a kingliness about him, royalty, that even after three and a half years, they still respected him and honored him for who he was. Now, watch this real quick. After the night, after the night of the Passover, Jesus is standing before Pilate. In Luke chapter 19, he's standing before Pilate. Wait, Mark chapter 15, I'm sorry. In Mark chapter 15, it says, then Pilate answered Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said to him, it is as you say. Now watch this. And the chief priests accused Jesus of many things, but Jesus answered nothing. Jesus is standing in front of Pilate. All his accusers are behind him. He says, Jesus, are you a king? It is as you say. Everyone else behind him is yelling, he's not a king. He said this. He said that. Most of them are just making up lies, right? They're all lying behind him. But what does Jesus do? He's like us, right? I'm not a liar. you have got in the name. No. <laughs> what did Jesus do? Come on, what does he do? Verse 4, then Pilate asked Jesus, saying again, do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you, but Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. I'm telling you, it is beneath the king to address every lie. It's beneath him. It's beneath you to address every accuser. It is beneath you. Well, if I don't speak up, no one in here will speak up for me. Let your father speak up for you. In the book of Esther, we saw last, last Sunday, in Esther, only God could have caused the king to have a sleepless night. And only God could have ordained that the king read the chronicles. And only God could have ordained that Mordecai on the eve of his execution should instead be elevated and promoted. Are you with me? Come on. It's beneath you to address every problem. You don't have to. You're a king. Well, if I don't speak up, what if they? Well, what if they? Imagine Jesus in front of Pilate. They're lying, not promised. Oh. I can't I can't walk over there because I'm chained, but they're lying. I am a king. I really am a king. He didn't have to do that. He's a king. We take our example from him, the king of kings. Now watch this. I'm gonna close with this last verse. Watch this. Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 19, it says, Then they said to him, Hail, King of Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate says, All right, scourge Jesus, and then we'll let him go. So they scourge him and they struck him with their hands, and they said, Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And I'll close with this. All right. We draw our example from the king of kings. Jesus was so kingly. Let me say this. On the surface, English, behold the man just looks like behold, I bring him out. Behold the man. Here he is. Right. But in the Greek, it's so much more powerful. In the Greek, that word behold actually means Pilate looked at him. Pilate said, everyone, listen, listen, listen. I know you're angry. I'm about to bring him out. Okay? So that you can see I find no fault. When he saw Jesus come out, he stopped. And whatever it was about him, there was such a kingliness about him, such a priest. I mean, come on. There was something so royal about him that Pilate himself said in front of all the people, behold the man. It's not like our English understanding of all, behold, this is the man. No, it's behold, Pilate himself was drawn back. Look at him. After being beaten and spit on, look at him. He still looks like a king. And I'm telling you by the grace of God, listen, be a king and a priest. I say be, I say it carefully. You are, you will never lose your position. You are in Christ. You'll never lose that position. It came by his blood, and his blood was the only thing that will sustain your position. You are a king, you are a priest. But act like it. (laughs) Because when you act like it, you're responding to God's grace. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, for your word and for your truth. And Father, we thank you that you have made us kings and priests by your blood. So this morning, Father, we submit... To what you have done in us. We submit to what you have done for us. And this morning Lord we thank you. That you make sure that every king in here. Is adequately supplied. Father you make sure every priest in here. Is adequately supplied. And Father I thank you even right now. Whatever you have put on the hearts of anyone in here. As we continue to look to Jesus. As we continue to rest in him. Father I ask that you would begin to bring carts. Into their life. Carts to carry them. Carts to transport them from A to B. Carts to begin to so they would begin to see the manifestation of what they need in their lives. And Father, I thank you this week that you will continue to remind them as well as continue to remind me that we are kings and priests and we don't have to resolve every problem. We don't have to fix every assault. In you, we can rest. In you, we have righteousness. In you, we have strength. And in you, we have wholeness. So Father, we thank you for what we have in you. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Can you stand to your
0: feet? Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centerscharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.